We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy and the King. You know, all my life, I, when I was growing up, you know, people would call me stubborn. You know, my mom would, would refer to me as being stubborn. My father, every once in a while, would say, you know, young king, you are stubborn. Uh, my teachers called me stubborn. Folks in the military called me corporate America. I've always been stubborn. I had to fight it this morning because, you know, we got a routine of recording and I normally have my cognac. Yeah. So today it's 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> I have an Izzy, cranberry, pomegranate, some blackberry. So I'm being good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. And I thank you for being flexible as always, because I'm always fucking up our schedule and, and your <laughs> cognac time. Uh, so I appreciate you. Today. Did you all hear that? I Like, I, I just really want to know, did you all catch that? That Julie? See, you don't. you all have no idea what happens behind the scenes when we put the the show sausage together. And and so but it's all good. I don't mind being amenable. Because I always know that we will record when we are supposed to record. So what are we going to talk about today? So some good stuff. Uh, what We start with PayPal, yeah. um, a company whose CEO I have a lot of respect for. He's done a lot of good work around mental health and, and for our agency at Ability Beyond in particular. Um, has deployed $510 million toward closing the racial wealth gap, which you and I have talked a lot about hasn't happened in terms of what companies have said that they're going to do and pledges that they've made. Um, and how they're doing this is by making deposits into Black and Latinx-owned financial institutions yeah. and also early-stage VC funding uh, for Black and Latinx managers. I think that's pretty pretty awesome. I, I absolutely agree. And you know what I enjoy is the fact that they can document their contribution. I know uh, Fortune did an article. I don't have the link in front of me, but I know Fortune did an article on them um, a couple of weeks back, even before this particular announcement right here. And and I absolutely appreciate that they recognize, listen, you know, we could be doing more. Uh, in many ways, we have benefited from privilege, from access. We know that these other uh, audiences, groups, communities are often left out of the conversation. So what can we do to usher them in? What can we do to support them? And one of the biggest things you can do is put your money behind them, which is why I try to tell people, put some of your money in a black bank. Like, I get it that you want to be with some of the major banks, the banks that have a national footprint, but find a black bank. They may only have ATMs but put some money in a black bank, help them build up their deposits. So I love that story. Yeah. And that's an important thing, right? Is access to capital helps build wealth. And that's why we, I think, have to think more actively about where we do business. And in terms of not just a spend, but also our deposits, a great point. Yeah. So we have a, uh, uh, 
a journalistic, uh, I'll call it a news outlet here in Maryland. And I'm, I'm not, a sh- let me see if I can get the name of them really quickly. Um, no, I can't. But in any event, it's here in Maryland, and we, we we will put the link in the show notes. But there's this new series out, and I just thought we had to mention it. It's a, it's an educational piece. It's a historical piece. And not that we need to continue to absorb what happened during the time of lynchings, what happened in the 60s or the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, if you will. Maybe the 30s is probably too far back, but the 50s and the 60s primarily. You know, when we are thinking about those lynchings, there was a lot that the media did to help propel that, to promulgate that, to to make that natural. You know, in the black community, Julie, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people don't say the word picnic. Did you, did you know that? Have you ever heard that before? So I just recently learned this, like in the last two months. Yep. So that part of the reason why is because of lynchings. And so uh, the story here is uh, the Printing Hate series. You can Google it. Printing Hate series. It highlights the negative role the media had during the time of lynchings here in America. And so, again, as I said, Julie and I will make sure we put the link in the show notes. Yeah. I, so I just want to. So it's cnsmaryland.org. So Capital News Service. And it's. Thank you the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. And it, it's it's actually pretty fantastic. I think that one thing I heard this week from a listener, Torn, was that they really appreciate appreciated the history that we did on Bruce's Beach because they're somewhat new to the DNI space. A, a white person didn't really know that history. And so I think this kind of story is is critical for our listeners to check out and to learn. I've spent some time on it, just I haven't even been able to get deep. And I learned a lot. Um, there, there are things that I just don't know that I should definitely know. And this is a great, a great example of where to learn. You know, we got another reference that we'll make later in the show. And sometimes, you know, when I'm putting the sheet together for us, I, I actually drop links on, even though I know we're not going to be able to get to them. Because what I do know is that quickly I can get on our drive and I can type in this so I can type in that phrase and it'll show us all of the shows where we've talked about it or mentioned it. The show has actually become a bit of a library for me. Mm-hmm. It's become a bit of a research repository for me. So when I'm preparing for other podcasts or speaking engagements, I may say, you know, I feel like Julie and I talked about or And so this is part of the reason why I do it like this. And so I love hearing that feedback from the listener because it hits on that value point, learning and development. You can't do D&I in an organization without having a robust learning and development. So we need so much more. And part of this type of content should be in corporate organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So check out lynching.cnsmaryland.org. Yeah. And uh, this is for you, Stubbsy, across the pond. I was going to actually talk about um, the first audio book. We know Audible now and a couple of other platforms, but I was going to talk about the first audio book was designed by somebody because they were trying to reach the blind community. We bumped that story, but this one right here is for you, Stubbsy. 
UK's first LGBT business champion. Like they've hired someone officially to focus on the issues in the UK around the LGBTQ community. Fascinating and I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, so this is from Unleash.ai. They've got tons of fantastic news that comes out every week. If you don't get that newsletter, sign up for it. So it looks like it's Ian Anderson is going to work on behalf of the um, United Kingdom to advocate for better business for companies. Yeah, absolutely. Better businesses like, you know, incorporating the needs of the community, being sensitive to some of the issues that are important to them, which we'll hit on in just a moment, as a matter of fact. And we could probably use the same type of Anderson, Ian Anderson individual here in the U.S. And so I think that it's important and good that the U.K. decided that, look, we need to amplify these issues to a degree of of awareness. And and it says a lot. It says a lot about the UK and the the work that Ian is going to be doing. And, and I'm interested in following this journey closely over the next several months to see how things unfold. It's a brand new position. But again, he is going to focus on, I, I would assume that, I'm assuming that he uses the he pronoun, um, but he's going to focus on making sure that we we focus on on the issues that are important to the LGBTQ community, and I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, it looks like he's going to take about 18 months to um, just get out and talk about or talk to businesses, NGOs, trade unions, and other stakeholders about how to create, um, not create, but identify evidence-based uh, policies that are going to help drive LGBTQ engagement for employees, customers, so that everyone can do it better in real life. All right. So our last quick story, uh, this is around Pete Buttigieg. Did I say it right? Buttigieg. Yep. All right. Good, 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 good. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And he's been criticized for taking time off with his new twins. Julie and I talked about uh, the twins a couple of weeks ago. We you know, looked at the picture, we smiled. We were, I mean, it was a good story for us. And so the question becomes, and this is where I would love for you to respond, Julie, should gay men that adopt get the same benefit as straight men that father a child? Should gay men, two gay men that adopt, should they get, is it called paternal leave? Should they be able to benefit from that? So do two gay men who adopt a child have any less legal or moral responsibility over those children? I I think the answer is an even easy and even no, no less. So with all of the same responsibilities should come the same benefits. And and let's talk specifically to Secretary Buttigieg's twins, who are two, two of them twins. First of all, they're premature. Um, They were adopted. So you and I have both raised newborns. I've never done two at the same time. Um, it, it, It takes more than just mom it takes more than just one parent and those critical first few weeks of bonding are are incredibly important time and i think really that when you know people like matt walsh and tucker carlson and tom cotton are out here criticizing and and using homophobic tropes against secretary Buttigieg and his husband chasten really that's what it is it's not really about should a man take time to bond with his child. It's about how do we undermine the um, the station 
of LGBTQ individuals in our society and in our community. It, it really is just another form for these guys to pull out homophobia. Absolutely, Secretary Buttigieg should have that time with his family. He should have that time with his husband. And he should have that time to to bond with his beautiful new babies. Yeah, you know what? You it, it's I, I so appreciate how you just synthesize that with a very easy question in the front. And then you in in your description, I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. Okay. A straight father is looking to bond with his child. Why would we deprive Chasten or Pete, one of them, from having that opportunity to bond? Like it's so simple. Thank you. Appreciate that. And for all of you out there, it's one of those things that Julie and I talk about often. Once again, if we are going to do DEIB better, we do have to evaluate how we curating our benefit packages for the people that we care about in our organizations, our employees. And so here's what Alex Ohanian from Reddit had to say. Um, it's a quick, like one minute clip. Have a listen. a new child in your life. It really is a special time and it thrills me to see how many dads are stepping up to that responsibility and are excited by it. You should be able to have time to spend with them and know that there is going to be a job waiting for you and that there's still going to be revenue coming into your household. I'm Alexis Ohanian, co-founder of Reddit and Initialized Capital. Today I'm here to talk about why paternity leave is so awesome and important, not just for dads, but also to moms. It was not until we got home from the hospital and you know my wife's um, complications afterwards. After feeling short of breath, a CT scan revealed that Williams had a pulmonary embolism and other blood clots, which set off coughing fits that burst her C-section incision. She then had to have additional surgery to correct and prevent more clots from forming. That was when it clicked for me and I realized, my God, I have every advantage imaginable and I have the leave policy, right, which is from my company. And I still, I'm horrified at the number of Americans that don't have access to it, number of women, I mean, a quarter of them are back to work in two weeks. I'm horrified that that exists and that any other American family would have to go through something anywhere similar uh, without having that security. I have a platform. I know I have a voice that people are, are listening to. Let me take full advantage of it. All right. And there awesome. So. Yeah, there you have it. I mean, our quick takes of the week, and we'll be right back. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out. All right, so you and I have spent a lot of damn time in Texas 
over these past few episodes. And you're going to take us back again. Uh, yeah, we're going to make our way back to Texas. And this time, yet again, well, maybe not this time. The proper context is yet again time. Uh, once again time. Uh, one more time. We are shaking our head because um, these folks in Texas, like, let me be fair. I, I think people say crazy things no matter what state they're located in. We just don't seem to get the crazy folks from Montana. We don't seem to get the crazy folks from Idaho. Like, they are out probably doing something incredible, building, you know, software. There's a lot of software companies uh, in, in Idaho. And, and maybe as you, you go to Five Guys? Oh, yeah. Sometimes. They always talk about the little Idaho potatoes. Mm -hmm. It seems like the one by my house always has, like, Idaho potatoes. So, but Texas has made the news again, and this time, because there's an administrator who had something to say around the Holocaust and encouraging educators in classrooms that if they are going to present a version of the Holocaust, if they're going to present the version of the Holocaust, that they had to present an alternative version. And like you hear all of the gasping in the room Matter of fact, let's just play the clip. Let's let's let you hear what we heard. How about we do that? All right. We are in the middle of a political mess. And you are in the middle of a political mess. And so we just have to do the best that we can. And so we're going to go and we're going to do, you're going to do what you do best, and that's to teach kids. I think we're all just really terrified. I, I, I yeah. think you are terrified. And, and I wish I could take that away. I, I do. I can't. I can't do that. You are professionals. We hired you as professionals. We trust you with our children. So if you think the book is okay, then let's go with it. And whatever happens, we will fight it together. We will. There's a lot of districts that are in the exact same spot we're in, and no one knows how to navigate these waters. I mean, no one. So, <laughs> it it's even more dumbfounding when when you hear it out loud, did you, right? Did you, did you use the word dumbfounding? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's the second funny phrase that I heard today that I haven't heard in a while. I'm not going to repeat the first one. <laughs> uh, the first one has something to do with uh, Merrick Garland and these January 6th folks. And, you know, it's the P word. Anyway, keep going. Um, dumbfounded. So go ahead. Um, it is. I mean, like hearing that makes you say like, are you serious? She said that? Yes. So let, let's let's take that second and give a little bit of history here. So in in earlier this session, in the, the legislative session for the Texas um, House, they drafted a bill 3979, uh, which is basically yep. known as, as the anti-critical race theory bill. We can talk about that in depth. Um, but it passed and Governor uh, Greg Abbott signed it into law and made it effective. I think this is also something that's really interesting. Effective 9-1. So it was 
passed in August, signed into law in August, and literally took effect the very next month. And basically the summary, right, is of, of what you need to know, and thanks to the Texas Tribune for helping me size it up so easily, is that the majority, again, of white legislatures in Texas, which I think is why we're getting a lot of this crazy, limited how race is taught in schools, right? So this is really the social studies curriculum legislation. It has a provision that says students should not feel discomfort, guilt, or anguish that are related to their race or the behaviors or actions of their ancestors. Yeah, let me yeah. let me jump in real quick. And and, and again, I, I just want to put a pen in this. The the piece that really annoys me around this critical race theory conversation, the piece that annoys me around what I know t- I don't, the the legislature or maybe it's the Texas educational department, I don't know, but they've been trying to change language in textbooks for over a decade. So you all have to understand part of my annoyance is not so much so of recent activity, it's activity from 2008, 2009. They were trying to remove um in books the n word that slave owners were using they were trying to make slaves immigrants and other things in books they've been trying to do this for over a decade like almost 15 years so this is not new it's just at a crescendo and it's one that you are recognizing it's almost like when we say an overnight success but you don't recognize that the person has been getting busy for the last decade. This is what we're talking about right yeah, here. Yeah, no, I, an excellent point, again, that the history and the way that, especially in Texas, I think is a really great example of how impactful census participation is, um, gerrymandering and legislative districts, because what has happened is that the Texas legislature has a supermajority that is not representative of the people of Texas. And they now are able to impose the will of the minority onto the people, right? Which is specifically something that they they are trying to put on um, teachers who wanna teach critical race theory, who want to have current events and topical conversations that can drive a generation of young students to create a, a world that is more inclusive, right? This is really about curbing civic, civic engagement, whitewashing history. And the reason, you know, as, as we kind of say, okay, this is what, what the law is designed to do. And what you heard in that clip is the output. And the exact thing that the legislature hoped would happen is teachers are scared to teach. They don't know the parameters for Um, enforcement or punishment around this law should they break it. And it's so ambiguous in its writing, it would be hard not to break it, that this administrator said, hey, we're all in a tough spot. Maybe you should teach an alternative, an opposing view to the Holocaust, right? That's, it's, and back to your point, Torn, it is 
not it, it is overt, but the impact that it has is that it will chill people's conversations. They will change a nuanced dialogue that is so important for us to have with our young children, with our students, and that teachers are critical in in creating that civic mindedness within our our generation that they'll start to change their behaviors in subtle ways, perhaps overt ways sometimes, but that it just begins that dumbing down or the continuation of the dumbing down of America. Yeah, that desensitizing their consciousness and their uh, awareness and connectedness to our history and humanity. And only one correction in what you said, one minor correction. These educators, as with almost every educator that is in a public school system, public school system, they're not trying to teach critical race theory. I think they're just trying to teach history. Yes. So that's the only, and I know why you said it, um, but outside of that, you're absolutely right. They are trying to dumb down and desensitize these young people and they're amplifying it by saying, well, what we're doing in teaching history, the way that history really happened, like we don't want to talk about the trail of tears. We don't want to talk about Andrew Jackson, the way that he really was a savage. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to talk about that part of history because it makes white children feel bad about themselves. Well, how the hell do you think black children feel when you are trying to touch their hair or when you try to put out a quiz that says, we want you to pretend like you're a slave and we're going to make somebody else in the classroom, the slave master. How do you think black children feel having to deal with that? How do you think black children feel when you talk about every single thing and then you refer and connect it back to Chicago or you call them monsters or savages or hood? We feel that. So bump that, teach history the way that history should be taught. And quite frankly, I think it's really, really telling of these parents in South Lake, uh, the South Lake School District. I think it's telling of the parents there and across the country that are not willing to face history the way that history really happened and then allow us to grow and be better moving forward. I think it's telling about them. That, that's what I yeah, think. And you're and and I do want to say I have a great article from the American Bar Association that I was reading just in prep for this story. And you're right. Again, let's just say critical race theory is not diversity and inclusion training, right? It's a nope. practice coined and created by Kimberly Crenshaw of interrogating the role of race and racism in society that came from really, again, a, a legal framework and is spread now to other forms of scholarship, but what it's become is sort of like that cancel Christmas, right? Um, baiting word. It's how do we enrage people when we say that we're going to be critical of their race, of my race, what the fuck ever, right? And it's getting used out of context. And I need to make sure as a, as a practitioner that I'm always using it correctly because I don't want to lose the importance of all of the words that you just said to make myself corrected in in this record. So again, a very important story, a very important demonstration of how the fabric of our nation is moving in a way that's being completely white whitewashed in certain parts of our country and we don't have 
in this case, the power to overrule that that minority rule in Texas. And that's really where that activism and civic engagement becomes critically important. Yeah. So to close out this story, I just wanted you to hear from a student. He's an adult now, a Jewish uh, former student who is Jewish uh, from that particular community, that school district. And he shares an account. It's about two minutes, but I want you to take a listen. I want you to hear what the life was like for him while he went to school. My name is Jake Berman, and South Lake has been a part of my life since my parents moved here before I started kindergarten in 1994. My parents moved my brother and I here for this very school district, at the time a 3A district that claimed to offer one of the best public secondary educations in the state. This was consistent with my experience for a time as I was able to learn from excellent teachers and administrators alike. It was one of those administrators, then the Dawson principal, that strongly urged my parents to pull me out of the district in eighth grade. I was subject to a rash of bullying, almost all of which was anti-Semitic in nature. I received everything from jokes about my nose uh, to gas chambers, all while studying for my bar mitzvah from a Holocaust survivor as my primary tutor. Last week's occurrence was assuredly a misstep and a mistake, not due to her uh, any uh, internal feeling from her. And Dr. Ledbetter's statement correctly said, uh, stated that there are not two sides to the Holocaust. And I'm very thankful for Dr. Ledbetter using such clear language as this elucidates the reality of the ridiculous and stupid law here in the state of Texas. Here are the facts, many of which in this country want to either whitewash or ignore. The facts are that there are not two sides to the Holocaust. The Nazis systematically killed millions of people. There are not two sides to slavery. White Europeans enslaved black Africans in this country until June 19, 1865, a moment we're barely 150 years removed from. There are not two sides to Jim Crow. There are not two sides to racism, and that same oppression continues today. These are facts. The other facts are that I, a Jewish kid born in Dallas, was bullied on a daily basis for my religion for almost two years in this very district, nearly driving me to suicide before thankfully being removed from the environment thanks to an administrator. I still struggle with the depression that started at Dawson Middle School in 2003 to this very day. The message you and the state are sending to your teachers opens the door for more of this type of behavior in your students. If you don't think that these same attacks are happening in your schools today with regard to someone's skin color, gender, or religion, you're sorely mistaken. You have the opportunity as a district uh, to lead the state that's sorely in need, need of leadership in, in its education department, as shown by its 38th ranking nationally. There are 8,400 students in the district whose minds need to be cultivated and developed, and hundreds of extremely capable teachers and administrators who desperately need to be supported. This is a crossroads for the state and for this district. One path is an opportunity to lead and be on the right side of history. The other will cost you and your children a quality education they very much deserve. Awesome. So. It brings us to our Her Voice segment. Thanks, uh, DJ Sells, for like working all these clips in. I appreciate you, man. Um, so our Her Voice segment, we love to amplify women that are making moves, and this week is no different. Uh, we just want to shout out in the beginning, we want you to meet Pinterest's, Pinterest, I always say that name wrong, Pinterest's first black board member. Her name is Andrea Wisham, W-I-S-H. O M. And I think it's about time. I'm not going to put the name out, but if you do your research earlier this year, they went through some major, major litigation. Well, starting late last year and earlier this year, went through some major or was facing some major litigation for wrongfully terminating the employment of their then COO. Now, they finally, finally have put a person of color, a black woman on 
their board. So shout out to Andrea Wisher. Yep. And to Kave Balambo, director of TA at Smart Recruiters, who grew up in South Africa before moving to Berlin and who will be working to address representation in Berlin for Smart Recruiters. And you can follow her at K-A-V-E-B-U-L-A-M-B-O on Twitter. And Praxis Labs on last Friday raised $15.5 million uh, in funding from Norwest Venture Partners and Penny Jar Capital. I think Penny Jar Capital happens to be uh, an early stage investment firm where Steph Curry's, well, oh no, I'm sorry, not Steph Curry, uh, not of Steph Curry, but Steph Curry is a partner or a participant in that particular firm. And the reason why I bring up Praxis Labs, this is actually, Jay, the second time, second or third time I've seen a story on them. And I don't believe I've ever made reference to them, but I have kind of watched over the months the work that they are doing to try to institute VR related training in the DNI space. And so they really try to submerge people into situations that are a bit more real. So I'm happy to see that they are gaining funding, hopefully gaining traction and making a difference inside of organizations. Uh, are you a, a, a Beehive uh, fan? No, I you, am. You no, I am. I, I know it. I know it. I know <laughs> it. So, so this one right here was really good. This was the one that I was referring to earlier in the show. And I really dropped this note in because if you haven't clicked on the link, Solange Knowles uh, has opened up a library. And let me just make it really short. It's a library of rare books. Love it. These are rare out of print books that you can capture for free. You can watch them for, I'm sorry, read them and review them, hold them in your possession for about 45 days. As long as you're in the U.S., unfortunately, they're not shipping out of the country. But if you are in the U.S., you should visit St. Heron. That's St. H-E-R-O-N, St. Heron. Dot com. Shout out to Solange Knowles. Absolutely. So still in Deem, we've got about a week left. It's not too late for you to recognize your employees that are a part of my community, the, the disability community. Um, take advantage. We've got two good weeks left and it's uh, or 10 good days left and it's been a great month so far. Yeah. And uh, there's an advance in equity webinar that's taking place. How nonprofits can hire more leaders of color. It's a free online session. It's happening November 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you want to follow them, uh, the organization is Philanthropy on Twitter. They're at Philanthropy on Twitter. You can go there, get more details about the upcoming November event and all of the other great work that they are doing. All right, doing. a quick name drop for me this week to the wonderful women, especially Elena Valentine at Skill Scout. Who Shout out. She is, is, she is my girl, um, who did yes. an amazing job teaching new videographers at Ability Beyond how to capture our stories of belonging and beyond and inclusion. So thank you to the Skill Scout team for being phenomenal as always. Always phenomenal. Listen, Jay and I close reminding each and every one of you to be better humans, to build better teams, build better workplaces. We also remind you to share the pod with your tribe. Like we want to grow the listening audience. And the only way that we can do that is to one, try to curate and deliver great content, informing content, actionable content. 
and then you share that after you take a listen. So hit that share button, hit that retweet button, hit that post button, hit that heart button, and do Jay and I a favor. Help us to hit like, I don't know, some stupid number of downloads before the end of the year. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.